Welcome to Headlines of the Future, brought to you by Bayer. Fascinating clues to help solve some of the most pressing global challenges, from climate change to feeding a growing population to curing diseases, can be found through science and innovation. In each episode, we will seek answers as to what the future might look like and how it will transform our lives for the better. I'm your host, Pai, and in this podcast, we get to hear from visionary scientists, thought leaders, and changemakers who are exploring how the science of today may positively impact our lives in the future. Today, I'm joined by two amazing women and personal role models of mine to discuss all things transformation. So first off, we have Serena Lin. Serena is a member of the Board of Management of Bayer and Chief Transformation and Talent Officer. She is responsible for human resources, strategy, business consulting, and our overall transformation. Serena is passionate about developing and mentoring rising talents and creating an inclusive environment where everyone brings their whole self to work and thrives. Next up, we have Chris Burnett. Chris is a dedicated organizational development and cultural transformation driver. She's been at the forefront of crafting future-proof digital-first organizations for over a decade. Chris has led global brands to embrace new ways of working, organizing teams, and leading human-centered design solutions for employees and customers. Serena and Chris, welcome to Headlines of the Future. We are so thrilled to have you both here today and to discuss a topic that neither of you are strangers to, cultural transformation and the future of work. So to get us started, we're going to try something a bit different today and dive into the most fundamental question of the podcast. So are we ready? I'm ready. Go for it, Pi. <laughs> okay, great energy. So Chris, which headline will we read in 10 years from now about transformation, culture, and the future of work? Oh my goodness. Um, the future of work is in the metaverse, maybe. I mean, it could be something like that. We don't know yet. But I think with new technology changing every single day, I think work might look very different than what we think of traditional work right now. Absolutely agree. So Serena, how about you? What do you think will be in the news? Yeah, no, I agree with Chris. I also think 10 years from now, we're going to have an environment where it becomes almost boundaryless and borderless and almost sort of the division of corporations versus individual gigs, projects versus programs, org structures versus self-organized teams. Those distinctions that we are used to today will become much, much more blurry, a lot more flexibility in terms of how people spend their time, where they want to spend their time. A lot more flexibility from an organization's perspective to say, where do I find the best people for doing what work, where? So to me, this idea of boundaryless and borderless is probably where I think we're going to go. Well, the future certainly sounds exciting if that is the case, and we're going to dive into it in a moment. But first, I always love to hear where people got their start versus the roles they have today. So Serena, your journey has been an inspiring and incredible one to witness. You were, amongst many other things, a computer scientist by education, and currently you lead transformation as a board member for a global life sciences company. Is this what you always wanted to be when you were a child? Well, I'll tell you honestly, Pai, uh, no, I never knew what I want to do when I was a child. But I'll tell you what I liked about my life so far is um, always have the ability to do something that gives me energy, that I find fun and exciting and interesting. I think 
what I wanted as a child is, you know, looking for puzzles to solve, uh, looking for problems that is kind of fun to get my hands in. Um, that's what I like. And, and I, has been very fortunate, has always been giving that kind of opportunity to do that, right? Um, what are some of the big problems out there that is kind of fun to sort of work with others and come up with solutions? And that to me is also what transformation is about. Ultimately, transformation is trying to help set up an organization that's ready for future success. And it is a complex problem with lots of moving pieces. Thanks, Serena. Puzzles definitely pay off then. So I'm going to make sure my kids do more of those. <laughs> So Chris, we've had some great exchanges in the past um, with regards to transformation, and I've learned so much from watching your journey. So for those listening, can you tell us a bit about your journey and what is it that you do today? Yeah, I mean, I can start from like when I was a teenager. I was like, I always loved teaching. My very first job, and very few people know this about me, I was a gymnastics instructor. And those principles still live with me today, right? You set a goal you coach someone to achieve that goal and you see the the reward of like hitting that target, hitting that KPI or hitting that milestone, right? Chasing that next goal has always been a passion of mine. And I've always been um, really interested in the psychology of humans, how we adapt to change, how do we navigate change, how do we understand change is a constant, um, how do we deal with or navigate folks who are resistant to change. Um, and so that's taking me to a lot lot of different places inside of organizations, mostly as a consultant, and thinking about how do we navigate change in a digital world that allows our organizations to be set up for the future, but also achieve our business goals. And that really is sort of where my background comes from and what inspires me to keep doing this work. Thanks for sharing that, Chris. So two very equally inspiring parts. And, you know, I have to say this, as a woman of color myself, you are both such an inspiration. So now we're going to dive into that topic that we started to address with that first question, right? What does the future of work look like? What does cultural transformation look like? And so first off, let's get into transformation, right? It is omnipresent over the past couple of years in particular. Change in many areas really accelerated significantly. So how would you describe what we witnessed over the past almost three years now? And that's kind of forever shaped the future of work. So Chris, over to you first. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think what we noticed is this shift in employees' relationship to work, right? Because everyone was working from home. You know, I was working from home for almost two and a half years. Some people worked from home less. But I think what has shifted is sort of this relationship to work, setting boundaries around work, right? When do I log off for the day? What type of expectations are of me at work? And how do we communicate with each other in a more virtual space? And things like turning our camera on, which we didn't think of before, right? And so what also has changed is sort of getting to to meet our, our coworkers differently now, right? Getting a more personal relationship with them. I mean, you're looking at my background, which is my house, right? Like we never saw inside of each other's homes. And I think what we've realized is that when you have 
these new relationships with work, different types of boundaries and how we talk to each other and communicate with each other, we start to see better communication, more transparency, more sharing of information. Because if we don't, and we don't have that sort of space in a physical office, we lose those connection touch points. So we have to work even harder to make sure we share information. And we have to work even harder to make sure that our colleagues, whether we're in the same time zone or across the world, have the information from us to be able to do their job. Now that we're coming on the other side of the pandemic, we're starting to see the shift back into the offices. So people are trying to reconcile with, oh, I really liked working from home or I really didn't like working from home. This is great now. I get to see my colleagues every day and sort of navigating that shift to this, some folks are calling a hybrid model. So I think there's a lot of lessons being learned around what works within a hybrid model, but I think there's also a lot of lessons that people are learning on what is the sense of relationship to work again. So now I think before it was employees are feeling a little bit more freedom, a little bit more flexibility in their day, and now there's this sort of pull back into the office, and there's lots of anxiety going into that. Just being in a space with like 100 people again, there's some level of social anxiety that everyone is, is navigating at this point, whether they had it before or not. So I think there's got to be a lot of empathy built into what types of work dynamics we're putting together. But I think what's important is we don't lose those lessons that we learned during COVID, which was transparency, making sure we've got the right work that we need to do, and making sure that our teams have the right tools to be able to get their job done. Really great answer, Chris. And I think the anxiety also of having to wear, you know, appropriate office wear from, you know, the oh waist down and, and the bed <laughs> shoes and you got to get rid of totally. all those comforts. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think you brought up some really excellent points on what potential barriers could be, but also some opportunities. So Serena, what are your thoughts on this in this new area of uh, kind of work? What are the biggest hurdles that we're going to face? And on the opposite end, what are the biggest opportunities you think for organizations in the long run? I do think there are some, I'll call it value equations that has completely been challenged and changed right during the pandemic. I think if we just ask ourselves before the pandemic, how do we rank and rate some of the things that's close and dear to us? Think about family, wealth, health, freedom, flexibility, right? And how those prioritization might have changed because of our individual experiences because of COVID. Recognizing some values are more important than the others. The area that is probably going to be fundamentally reshuffled is this triangular relationship of work, workplace, and workforce. Right? So in the past, it used to be fairly consistent. As a workforce, I come to a place to work and I have a job description that determines the type of work I do. It's a, a very solid relationship if you think about the triangle. But I, I think because of the experience of the pandemic, it not only changed the definition of what workplace mean for all of us, because workplace is no longer just a place we go work. You could literally work anywhere, right? It also changed fundamentally what does it mean to work. Because I changed what, how I value work vis-a-vis -vis all the other values that I now potentially value more in my life. I don't think we have quite yet settled exactly what the implication of what we're going through is. And I do think that really the only way for us to get through this is 
part of what Chris talked about, right, is especially for corporations, for leaders, how do you have lots of empathy and lots of ability to create dialogues with your team? What's happening with you? How is your value equation changing? What do you need to continue to be engaged and excited and be successful? And for us as an organization is be able to listen right to those voices, understanding what might be surfacing. What are the anxieties and concerns that people have? We talk about mental health a lot, but are we really creating enough of a safe space for people to really talk about them? And do we have supporting mechanisms and tools to really help and support those employees who raise those issues? The truth is the change will continue. And really the only way to make sure that we have a way of, you know, continue to provide what our employees and talents are looking for is making sure that the dialogues is open, the empathy is there, the environment is inclusive so that we know what's going on so we can react as quickly as we can. That's a really great response, Serena. And you brought up a point about reshuffling. I don't know if you recall, there was this kind of economic trend going on, a couple of different names for it. One of it was, of course, the great reshuffle, big quit, great resignation. So that has obviously impacted the workforce today, right? A lot of people have voluntarily resigned and chose to leave their jobs. And I think according to a survey by McKinsey, I think it was 40% of workers in the US at least are considering quitting their job soon. So Why do you think that is the case? Chris, what does it mean for companies besides the obvious impact on resources? Yeah, it's hard It's hard to predict what this sort of shift has happened over the last year. But I think what you brought up, Serena, was a really great point. So depending on everyone's life circumstances... If you're navigating sort of this this shift and you're recognizing that the traditional workplace and the traditional way of working from the past is no longer something that you want to ascribe to, I think folks are sort of realizing that they can opt out because companies are offering a lot more flexibility for workers. And I think, especially in the U.S., there's somewhat of a workers' movement happening where, like, workers are are demanding something that's a little bit more human when it comes to their relationship with work. Now, that's not to say that all companies in the U.S. are bad, but I do think it means that um, they're looking for benefits or policies that allow for more of that flexibility that they may have had during the pandemic, the ability to, you know, step away from the computer and pick their kid up from the school bus in in the middle of the afternoon, and having those relationships that are built around whatever it is outside of work in their family. So you mentioned this as well, Serena, you know, taking these things that are exciting outside of work and and not having to lose those. And it's not just work from home. It can be lots of different things that create this sort of flexibility. What workers are realizing is that there were things that they were missing out on in their lives that COVID and the sort of work from home trend allowed them to do or allowed them more time to be able to do. Um, we know some companies have done things in the past pre-COVID, right, that were, you know, you spend 20% of your time during the week, sometimes Fridays, on something that's not the, the regular work that you're doing, something that's creative, something that's inspiring that you might learn to bring back to your project work. We know there are things like um, learning and development opportunities, which might not be in your company's learning and development framework, but something that might 
give you a new skill that gets you better at your job. And that might look like painting, right? Or it might look like playing an instrument, or it might look like, to your point, Serena, learning how to play puzzles, right? Because that might get you into thinking in a little bit different way that could bring you back to your job. So it might look like different things that enable our employees and our teams to try something new, lean into their hobbies, um, and create that flexibility so that the relationship with work still feels productive and it still feels meaningful, but they feel like the skills that they're learning or the more time that they have to spend on these other relationships enables and empowers them and allows them to show up to work with that sort of 100% energized with new insights, new experiences that they can bring. Um, This is based off of a lot of assumptions, right? based off of um, what we're still learning. And I think there's a lot to learn on what's going to work the best. But I do think that with this sort of resignation and this trend of, you know, folks looking for something a little bit different in their relationship to work and opting out of the traditional structures, I think there's some opportunity for all of us to learn what's really going to get people motivated and what's going to get them to stay with us. And that's the hard question. What's going to get people to stay with us? Indeed. And I think a huge part of that, too, is speaking about motivation. You have this kind of role of the vision and um, and the purpose of a company culture and how that really fits well with the individual now that they've experienced all the things that they've experienced. So, Serena, let us talk about vision and purpose a little bit in this context. You said before that you've obviously loved working for Bayer because of the exciting vision that we have, which is health for all and hunger for none. And of course, we do have inspiring culture and and values, which, you know, you support in bringing to life. So how important are those things for employees individually and for an organization's success? Especially in uncertain times, like the one we are in today, more and more of us, I will say employers and employees alike, all of us as individuals, I think we're all grasping for something that is of higher calling, right? And higher calling here. It is, you know, it's very individual, but it's something that we say this is bigger than than me. This is something that is a bit of a, a north star that I know that I can hang on to, so that you know I can find meaning in what I do, right? Uh, despite all the changes that's happening around us, and I do think exactly times like this where a company's vision becomes that calling card, where you know people come to work or people want to come and join a company like Bayer. Because they could say, look, despite the war that's happening in Europe, despite the energy crisis, despite political challenges, and maybe in some cases, despite some of personal, you know, health challenges and scares, we know that, hey, what I do makes sense. What I do is having impact. So to me, that vision provides that kind of constancy, right? Both sort of psychologically as well as hopefully translates to an employee's daily work, right? When they come to work, they know why they're here. The other aspect of this that's important is for a company to truly live up to that vision, right? A vision by itself, if it's just a plaque on the wall, you know, employees will see through it. But if we, when we talk about health for all, hunger for none, this is aligned with how we do what we do. This is how we think about how we treat our customers and stakeholders and how do we really think about the, somebody's biggest health as well as as well as nutrition challenges in the world that's where people get excited that's where employees get excited you know if we can provide that constancy right in people's lives we believe that's something that employees will value 
Yeah, I mean, personally, I think that's been a, a great motivator for me. So the reason I actually moved to Bayer from the kind of luxury industry, which I used to love at one point, was, you know, the eve <laughs> of my, my, my daughter's birthday, sitting there and debating whether somebody's eyebrows are fine to be put on a, a social media post. And I thought, no, I'm not saving lives. I'm not a doctor. I'm not, you know, doing anything that requires me to be here doing this so late. And and then, you know, I, I joined Bayer and I thought, now it makes sense. Now now I have a reason to come to work. I know I'm part of something bigger. And I absolutely feel that every day when I come to work. So on the flip side, Chris, some organizations don't really prioritize uh, culture and transformation work. And, you know, this is something that you've been dealing with for a while. And they kind of address it as a, a usual business project, if you will. So, you know, a one-off initiative. Can you share a bit about your experience with this? Because, of course, transformation is a bit more complex than that. And what does it take to really drive a successful transformation? Yeah, I love this question. It's the same question that I ask myself every day. What is what is it going to take to make this, this next transformation successful? Um, the key to any successful transformation in any organization, especially when it comes around the culture piece, comes down to leadership. Serena was just talking about purpose and mission, and it's always great if a p- company's purpose and mission is communicated, is clear, and everyone understands it. So from the top of the organization to the junior person who just started three weeks ago, they should be able to recite that purpose and mission, right? And when everyone's saying the same thing, that's really successful. Now, when it comes to transformation and culture transformation, it all depends on what we're trying to achieve as part of our business strategy. And a lot of people often think that how does culture go with business or business strategy and KPIs? Well, they have to work together, right? Everything that we do as part of a culture transformation effort is leading us to the same goal. Now, when you have your purpose and vision, the next thing is, what are our KPIs? What are we trying to achieve? What's our target for this year? Like, those are the next questions. And then we can orient the culture around being able to help us achieve those goals. So they're tightly linked. So your culture strategy or your culture transformation always has to be built into your business strategy. Leadership should have some targets that they should be hitting around the way that they work and thinking about ways of working and thinking about their culture. Um, When leadership is held accountable, things change. When it's a side project, it takes really, really long for things to change. And when leadership is invested in uh, not just creating the change, but enabling the change, you'll start to see things like policies and systems and process start to adjust as well. Now, we can do lots of great culture transformations, but in order for it to stick, we also have to think about what are the systems and processes and policies that we have in place, and are they enabling or hindering our teams and our business units in order to achieve those goals, right? If they're slowing us down, it's time to think about how do we revisit that process to be more user-friendly, so to speak. And so a culture transformation isn't just about how we work, but it's about all of the systems, the structures, our leadership capabilities that enable us so that once we make that change and we shift, that that change can stick for the long term. Now, when it comes to culture and transformation, culture and people strategies should be revisited at the same time and as often 
as the strategy of the business, right? So some organizations function on like a three or a five-year strategic vision and plan. And that's the right time to start asking those questions about your culture transformation. So if your business is moving from, if you're going from a stage of growth uh, in the next five years, how do we adjust our culture and, and people strategy in order to allow for that growth to happen, right? If we're pivoting business models or creating new business models, how do we set up our teams, our organizations, our policies, and our structures to enable us to achieve that strategic business vision as well? So yeah, to me, it's really making sure that your your culture transformation and that strategy around people is seen as just as important as your business strategy. And the way that we measure is just as critical as how we measure any other business KPI. Thanks, Chris. So Serena, how do you think we're stacking up against what Chris just outlined? Well, I think um, I'm going to use the proverbial term, we are on a journey, right? Um, because I think a critical aspect of this, as Chris said, is to me, transformation is also translating what one, especially leaders, understand from the head to the heart. I also firmly believe that, especially when we talk about cultural transformation, and by the way, there's all sorts of different transformations out there. I mean, as, as we all know, I, I used to be a business strategy consultant, right? And from a strategy perspective, usually when people think about transformation, people think about specifically business model transformation versus I think what we are talking about here, which is the much harder part to do, is the organization culture transformation. And culture is not about business cases, right? Culture is not about, it's not about market analysis. Culture is about once, I will say, emotional journey to getting from here, where we are today, to there, which is a vision of what an organization could be. That's probably the hardest part of a cultural transformation, right, is for the leaders who uh, not only understand, but emotionally in tuned, as well as get excited about why this change is important, their role in it, their responsibility in it, and have the skills to be able to really lead the charge. And we're talking about inspiration. We're talking about vision setting. We're talking about the ability to listen and empathy. We're talking about someone at the same time know how to hold a performance bar despite all the changes out there. But we also are talking about someone who has the technical and the execution skills to get things done, right? So in some ways, you know, a transformation demands even more on the leaders, right? To Chris's point that ultimately a leader of the future in this environment need to acquire even more of that skills, both head and the mind, both ability to do and to inspire to be able to do this. So where are we at Bayer? I think, um, you know, we started this journey right, about a year ago when we started talking about engage, shape, perform, right? A very simple framework. Hopefully that inspires our leaders to think about how to engage their teams and themselves differently, how to shape the environment they're in and challenge the status quo and how to perform and outperform, right? Because ultimately that's why we owe it to all our stakeholders. So, a year in, I think our self-assessment is that we are on a good track. We're gaining traction. More and more leaders are connecting the dots right between their head and their heart. More leaders are seeing the need for this and the sustainability of a transformation like this. But clearly, this is indeed going to be a journey, especially even more of the external factors, as we talked about earlier, will continue to influence. How do we go forward? Where do we go? What are the tools and skill sets we need to have? 
And eventually, right, absolutely, what kind of KBIs do we need to put in place to make sure that we have ability of measuring the success of this, right? Ultimately, financial metrics are important, but also so is our employee engagement survey results, right? So is our retention rates. So is our ability to develop and retain talent. So I think those are some of the things that will eventually need to come together. Thanks for sharing that, Serena. So, I mean, a huge part of, you know, at least our cultural transformation, and I imagine many others, is this lens of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that is one of the big focuses that we have, uh, Serena, at, at Bayer. But Chris, you wrote on one of your blogs that you learned the first time about the concepts when you were 18. And for many, they may just be kind of buzzwords. And, you know, I've personally experienced that myself during my career. And so can you elaborate a bit on what it really means when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, I grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia, and it was just a melting pot. And so I had no idea what diversity meant. I just always knew that I grew up with a mix of people around me from all different cultural backgrounds. And so I would say that I had a very... um, really rich, uh, diverse neighborhood and where I grew up and town where I grew up. And I didn't know how much that had shaped me in my life until I had gotten older. But yeah, the word diversity didn't start coming into my consciousness until I was about 18 and I started applying for colleges. And it, it was something that I just was confronted with, right? Like, we're looking for you to be a part of our, you know, diversity something program. Like, we're, we're trying to bring that more diversity to our, our university. And I was like, what in the world are these, these folks talking about? Um, so that was kind of like an introduction to the real world as I turned 18 and, and tried to understand what that meant. And I never really truly understood what diversity and inclusion meant until I felt like I was the outsider. So it was a rude awakening when I went to college, but it was a great learning experience. So when I think about diversity, I just think about difference, right? Like difference of culture, difference of background, different of language. It's just difference, right? Um, When I think about inclusion, I think about the types of things that we do for each other in order to make us feel welcome. You can be, (laughs) you can be all from the same background, all from the same neighborhood, but you, if you don't feel included, you can still feel left out in a scenario. And so inclusion is really just how do we make people feel like they too are a part of this thing, whatever that mission or that vision or that purpose of why we're together. And then equity is really, it's different than equality, of course, right? So equality is this idea that everyone gets the same. It's kind of around fairness and this idea, if we all get the same, we can all expect to have the same outcomes. Wherein the reality is we're all starting at different starting lines, right? Um, And so equality might not always get us to the same outcome. So what equity does is looks at everyone's scenario specifically and says, what does this person need in order to start at the same starting line? What does that person need to start at the same starting line in the hope that we get to the same outcomes? Equity is looking at everything and and all the factors that one has and saying, how do we get this person to the same starting point as everyone else? And that might look different. So different people need different things based on their circumstances. So Serena, how are we at Bayer working to increase DE&I? 
I think obviously this is also a really, really important topic for us, uh, not just from a business success perspective, but I think really is, you know, it's a personal passion of mine, just like you, Chris, because I think, you know, we all have the responsibility really to make the community and the society that we operate and live in a more equitable place. And it starts with diversity, starts with inclusion, and eventually driving for that that equity that you're talking about. From Bayer's perspective, a couple of things. Right? I think quite proud of our effort, actually, because I think we were among one of the few large companies that actually set very, very clear diversity goals that we aspire to reaching a gender equity among our managerial levels by 2030. I think that's step one. Having a clear goal, because that not only sets a clear mission and statement for everybody involved externally, but also allowing our internal employees to know this is important, right? And we have to strive through it. And I think that's step one. And I think, you know, how do we get there? And this is where a set of processes, programs, and mechanisms come into place. Uh, we know there are systemic unconscious bias right, in the system, and as many, many studies have shown. So how do we take those systemic unconscious bias out of the system? Right? Whether it's a hiring process, whether it's interview process, whether it's succession planning, whether it's talent development, how do we take those out of the system? That's something that, especially from HR's perspective, we need to do. We also know that um, a lot of the unconscious bias comes at sort of lack of dialogue and conversation. So how do we continue to drive training, unconscious bias training, or what we call the ouch training, and using unjudgmental lingos and unjudgmental tools to really help build a bridge? Because I think, you know, we all have our experiences when it comes to unconscious bias, and oftentimes unconscious bias is what it means, unconscious. However, right, if those unconscious bias are not called out, they become real biases, right? It's a part of everybody. I think the training and developing the muscle, creating the dialogue, creating the environment is the part that needs to happen. And last but not least is making sure that we have a way of measuring it, right? Inclusion and diversity. Ultimately, yes, we want to reach the outcome of parity. But what's even more important beyond those numbers is are we creating an environment where everybody can bring their best self to work, right? This is the ultimate goal, right? Regardless of all the programs and and KPIs you put in place, the ultimate goal is that. Are we creating an environment where everybody can bring their best self to work? Are we creating an environment where our employees are so grateful and happy and excited about the work they do here. They go out there and they try to, you know, they tell their friends and families and their kids to say, Bayer is a great company, come and join right? That will be the best testimony to how we're doing in terms of inclusion and diversity, attracting the best talent, creating the best environment, and people can succeed, right, in that environment. So I think that's the ultimate KPI. But in the meantime, harder KPIs are absolutely in place so that we can eventually get to there. Thanks, Serena. You know, I think another part of DE&I that's often overlooked is this concept of future of work and what it really means for people and the individual setups and needs. So we're now entering a strange era where there's almost a split between office and remote-based employees. And Chris, you kind of mentioned it a bit earlier. What are some practical ways that global companies can facilitate this kind of dynamic that caters to both and also to the needs of potential employees that aren't willing to move across country? Um, 
Now, when it comes from working from home, I think when we have, you know, companies that are globally dispersed, where people are working all over the world and are often working from home, you can think about how can we make people feel included in our day-to-day way that we work, right? Whether it's the types of meetings um, and how we facilitate those meetings for sure. But it could be something like, how do we get people in a certain region together? Maybe it's once per quarter, three times a year, but everyone has that time to look forward to. You know, it's scheduled on the calendars and everyone in the team is going to come together in this region to get to meet each other, get to understand each other differently. I'm always excited when I meet a colleague in person because I always do this game of like, how tall are they? (laughs) You know? Um, And then I'm always surprised when someone is super taller, a lot taller than I expected. And I'm always shocked when I find someone short like me. (laughs) Um, But those things help to build that relationship and help to build that inclusion and that feeling of belonging in a company. Thanks, Chris. Great response. So Serena, what role do you think future of work plays with hiring and kind of also retaining diverse talents? And how are we equipped at Bayer? I think this is one of the ultimate challenges, isn't it? I think it's too simplistic for any companies today to issue any kind of verdict on, well, gosh, you know, we're going to be a permanently remote office or, you know, all employees must work three days a week. Any of those strong, strong indications that we've seen, I think all those will change. And the first thing we got to do is recognize that kind of diversity, right? In other words, flexibility and how we create jobs, how we think about jobs, how we think about how to best match the supply and demand within the organization from what work that's needed to be done and, you know, where are the employees that's excited to do that kind of work and while developing themselves, right? That supply and demand equation need to work somehow, right? And that's going to be a lot more flexible than how it was before. Again, I, I think we talked a little bit of this future of almost like boundaryless environment within an organization, right? So what that means is, you know, when we think about hiring, you know, location is going to become less and less critical. Of course, unless it is a job that requires, you know, for example, our scientists going into the lab, right? Um, our production colleagues going into manufacturing facilities, of course, right? I mean, those are given. But for any other job that has the kind of flexibility in terms of workspace, we need to be able to bring the work to talent, to where they are. So that we need to rethink what that means. And similarly, in terms of retention, this changing value equation means, you know, what is going to excite me to stay in a company today might look very different from before. Um, Not everybody's going to look for a linear promotion anymore. Some people will say, look, I want to have the flexibility because I have, um, you know, I'm in a different phase in life where I'm valuing different things. I want to take a part-time work for a little bit so I can take care of my family members. You know, for the next two years, actually, I will value traveling around the world and work on different projects in different continents more so than getting that next promotion, right? And I think these value equations from a company's perspective, we need to take those into account, thinking about development in a very diverse way so that we give people that kind of flexibility to develop however they want right? So that we can best retain them. We all value things differently. And hopefully it's this recognition that will allow companies and also leaders to realize, I need to treat everybody as individual human beings. I need to understand what drives them. So I actually think that, you know, these are the conversations we need 
for us to continue to create that kind of sort of inclusive environment and allowing diverse talents to thrive. Beautifully said, Serene. I couldn't agree more. So let's go back to the question I asked you at the beginning of the podcast. Now we're at the end. Do you still feel this is the headline of the future and are we well on track? So let's flip it a bit. Serena, why don't we start with you? I think this is an inspiring conversation. In fact, I, I actually think that that is going to be the headline of the future, where we look at flexibility differently, we're giving talent what they need and what they want, and for organizations to be a lot more flexible, recognizing that we as individuals, we all bring different wants and needs and also talent to the table. And the best corporations are the ones that were able to figure that out. Are we on track? Too early to tell. I think as we all just discussed here, right? I mean, there's still lots of challenges and also I will say unknown challenges that's going to come our way. And it goes back to let's keep a vision on where we need to go. Let's be flexible. In the meantime, let's make sure that we create an environment where dialogues could continue so that we, we can continue to test ourselves. Are we on track or not? Love that. All right, Chris, what about you? Are we on track for the metaverse? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. But what I will say is I think there's productivity apps, there's tools that we use every day in our real lives that make us show up at work and do our best job, right? And I think those tools aren't going to go away. I think they are going to evolve rapidly in the next coming years. And so I do think that the tools that we use might look very different. Like we might not be using laptops, we might be using something else. But I do think that the tools we will use and the tools that we think about for productivity will rapidly change. There's this whole conversation about AI joining the workforce and what does that mean? So I think that's a question for those of us who think about culture and think about people and talent and how we best work together. Um, and I do think that technology will create a big shift in the, the work that we do and the theory that we're bringing to um, our teams. And so there's no way to know. Um, I wish I had a crystal ball and could predict the future, but I do think technology will play a huge role in how we, how we show up to work every day. Thanks, Chris. Well, I'm hugely excited for this transformation to see where we end up. Um, of course, it's going to be a constant state of evolving. As Serena mentions, we don't know what's around the corner, but you know, I am glad, and I'll say it once again, to have people like you at the forefront, really leading and paving the way through these kind of journeys and through transformation. So thank you both for your time today. I've really enjoyed discussing these topics with you and yeah, hope to connect soon and see what you achieve in the future. Likewise. It was Thanks a pleasure so much. to meet you both. <laughs> yeah, it is great. Thanks, Chris. Well, thank you, Serena and Chris, for joining us and for sharing your personal musings on the future of work and cultural transformation. And as always, thank you to our audience for listening to Headlines of the Future. We really hope that you found this conversation as energizing and educational as I did. If you want to learn more about the science, innovations, and transformation that help to address some of the most pressing global challenges, make sure to visit Bayer.com or subscribe. Stay tuned to our next episodes available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may get your podcasts. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, leave us a rating and review. Thanks again for joining us and we hope we'll see you for the next episode.